The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And so it's time to go to the Culture Club and we're continuing our series of political interviewees for the Culture Club and I'm delighted that we're joined today by the leader of the Labour Party, Ivana Patrick. Ivana, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Given that you're only in the Doyle a couple of years, you're leader of the Labour Party since last year, do you have any time now for <laughs> reading, listening to music, going to plays, uh, watching movies, television? Well, first of all, Matt, thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm delighted to do this. And, uh, you know, my favourite headline when I was first elected to the Dáil in July 21 was uh, overnight success after 30 years. Because, of course, you know, while I am and I'm not very long in the Dáil, uh, I, of course, had had a long time as a political activist and as a senator since 2007. So I do feel like I've been around a long time. But yes, it is busy. It's certainly um, busier than it was uh, before for me. But having said that, I find it even more important to take time to absorb culture, to read, to go to films, to see plays, watch TV series, because you just have to have that switch off mechanism. And I've always really loved all of that cultural side of life, you know, although uh, not to of, mention dancing. That's also important. Although a lot of voters, I think, are very demanding, aren't they, of their politicians, almost not expecting them to do things like that. They almost expect you to be available 24-7. Yes, there is that about politics, especially now with social media. There's an always-on culture, that's for sure. That can be very challenging. But at the same time, I think it's up to us in politics to, you know, also to ensure that we have that we take time and not Enough time for our families, of course, for ourselves, for um, to to appreciate, you know, a wider spectrum of life because it could it could become a very narrow focus if you're just always looking at, for example, political coverage rather than also looking at arts coverage, watching films, engaging in sport. And I have to say, you know, probably a midlife crisis for me. But I got involved in doing triathlon some years ago, and I find that an amazing outlet to see swimming during COVID, like so many others. Quite a cliche now, but uh, a group of us go swimming very regularly every week at uh, the usually at the South Wall the Half Moon Club and a big shout out to the Half Moon Mad Yokes a great group of women mostly women on WhatsApp who who swim there regularly so that's the sort of outlet I find I really need even more now even more now actually having become leader of the Labour Party and I think people like also to see people in public life or in, in elected reps being out and about too. So I Doing find, exactly the same as everybody well, else. Well, you know, but also I find people will come up to me on the South Wall, even when I'm wearing very little, obviously, I'm going about to have a dip. You know, but you'll, you'll hear issues that are relevant to people. People will ask for help, they'll ask for support in all sorts of settings. I make sure every week I'm out and about anyway, dropping leaflets and, and canvassing. And that's a great opportunity to meet people, to have a chat and to hear what's relevant and what's important. So it's all part of, you know, the broader life that uh, that I think we have to we have to re- remember is really important when you can get bogged down in the you know intricacies of Leinster House and and what's going on in the Dáil. It's important to keep that broader perspective. Okay, let's get to your selections. And we always start with everyone by asking them to nominate the first single that they can remember buying or will admit to buying. What's your choice? <laughs> well, like everyone else, I'm sure I was racking my brains trying to remember what it was. So I got into reading smash hits, uh, which listeners of a certain uh, event you will recall um, when I was in my mid-teens maybe around 13 or 14 We were only talking about smash hits last night with D-Ready on the programme oh, well, so you're are. not the first person this week to mention it It was our Bible my sisters and I, my sister and I and uh, 
then um, in around um, yeah around the mid 80s started buying singles so I think the first one I bought was Last Christmas by Wham it was either the first or second there may have been one by Nick Kershaw or Howard Jones and again that's a real uh, mid 80s mid 80s references there but Last Christmas by Wham blew my mind I thought it was amazing I went to see Wham play at the RDS December I looked it back up because I was thinking what year was it it was December 1984 it was the last Christmas tour and they put George Michael was incredible and they had a huge video uh, the huge uh, again listeners of that vintage will recall the last Christmas video and the story that played out they're all in a ski resort you know the meaningful glances across the table and so on well we just thought this was fantastic and myself and a friend I can reveal actually tried to chase uh, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely up to Jury's Hotel with a whole gang of teenage girl fans uh, we didn't we didn't get to see them as it happened but and I suspect they weren't actually staying in juries but it was one of those abiding memories it was one of the first concerts I was at and I just was so excited to be there and there was such energy and I was delighted to see George Michael one other time in the um, in the three arena and his I think his last tour in Ireland when he was um, very not long before he died as it happened and uh, he, he was his voice was as beautiful as ever well, I, even though it's January, because you said Last Christmas is the first song you remember <laughs> by, we're actually going to, for the first time in 2023, play a Christmas song. So when later in the year somebody like Ray Foley or Ian Dempsey boasts of playing the first Christmas song of 2023 <laughs> we'll say we did it on the last word in January. Okay, let's move That's on. That's great. And his voice is as magical as ever whether you hear it at Christmas or in January. It's fantastic. Okay, favourite album. What have you gone for? Well, again, I realise a lot of my references are mid-80s because um, I started college in 85. I was 17 and Trin- uh, went to Trinity and uh, that was hugely liberating. I just loved, you know, everything about college life, being active in the Students' Union, active in the Labour Society and the Socialist Society. I was, you know, passionate about politics then as I am now. Um, but, you know, the soundtrack to that time was music by quite a, a range of different bands and groups. But the outstanding one for me are Everything But The Girl, Tracy Thorne and Ben Watts. Real, I suppose, you know, bedsit music, it really is when you listen to it now. But the songs and the and the lyrics are fantastic. And of course, infamously, they, they don't play live. I've never seen them live. And they've only made a comeback recently. There's a new album yes. that's come out in recent weeks after well over a decade, I'm I so think. excited. And there's even talk that they may actually play live. So that would be incredible because we just played this. It's the second studio album, actually, that they brought out called Love Not Money. That for us was the was perhaps the, the kind of iconic music of, of the late 80s when I was in college and uh, you know tracks there that were just um, 
that became really iconic that were played all the time when all's well um, beautiful lyrics my love is like cathedral bells when all's well you know, we actually every- have that we'll just hear a little oh, bit of it fantastic. and then you can tell oh, us about the rest oh, of the album that's brilliant Rumors are right blows come Reminds me of such wretched times Yes, all the same That's fantastic. And, you know, their lyrics and her voice. And I always think they just had a way of capturing perhaps, you know, you know, that sort of raw kind of passion of, you know, that that you feel, particularly at that age, late teens, early 20s. There's another great lyric, a Christmas reference. You know, every day is like Christmas Day without you. It's cold and there's nothing to do. Isn't that fantastic? (laughs) So I've I've all and I've I've read Tracy Thorne's books. She's really, I suppose, got a second life also as an author and, and she's got a really powerful way of writing. Really great. I see everything but the girl features in your list of favourite bands, but you have others there as well. Yes. Well, the specials, I love the specials. So I love ska music. Uh, We used to go and work in London in the summers in the late 80s from college. And uh, then I lived in London for a few years after college as well, like so many others, again, of my contemporaries who went off there to work or to or to study further. And uh, we used to listen to a lot of reggae, a lot of ska music and the specials, particularly that song Ghost Town that is so atmospheric that just captured that time coming out of very bleak 80s Britain um, Thatcher's, you know, Thatcher's economic policies that has had such a brutalising effect. Um, I went over to London in 90, well, to, to live there after college in 1990 and it was the time of the poll tax riots. But there was also this sense that there were things were beginning to change and of course, you know, Labour were beginning to rebuild and so on. And the specials, that song Ghost Town just encapsulated the bleakness of post-industrial northern England. You know, we just felt... And, and then... All of their messaging around um, around equality for people of different colours and different ethnicities that was huge as well at that time. So I just I just think they're absolutely brilliant. I think Ghost Town is one of those songs. Every time you hear it, I know it featured largely in Father Ted. We'll just hear it a little bit. Out. Terry Hall, lead singer there, who died just the week before Christmas last year. 
very sad to see Terry Hall's death uh, announced. He was, again, like um, Tracy Thorne, his voice was so distinctive. Um, and, you know, he was he, he had had such an impact on the development of pop, you know, of, of uh not just of ska music with the specials, but he'd done so much other recording and you know, and he was very young, so it was a real shock to see his death announced. I see you also have Pulp on the list. Well, I love Pulp. I love Jarvis Cocker. I'm just reading his, his book at the moment and very excited about seeing them play when they come to Dublin in the summer and uh, saw them play once before only at, in a field in Galway sometime in the mid-noughties and if anyone can remember a few of us were trying to remember when was that gig but he was he's a fantastic performer he's got a persona where you think oh he's quite introverted he won't say much on stage actually he was very droll he really uh, brought you know he spoke to the he spoke with us all in the audience so and all of his tunes are absolutely cracking dance tunes you know things like uh, disc, you know Disco, let's all meet up in the year 2000, Disco 2000, common people, of course. So I think it's going to be a great concert this summer. No, you've mentioned enough concerts so far, so it must have been hard to uh, nominate the best gig you've been at. What did you go for and why? Yeah, this was really difficult to choose from because, you know, all my adult life since chasing Wham down the streets of Ballsbridge, I've loved going to gigs. I love going to festivals, love Electric Picnic. Um, but um, I just thought the best gig probably is a recent one because of just the context. It was the first gig I went to after COVID and it was the amazing concert played by Denise Chyla in the Olympia. It was 25th February 2022 and it was just at a time when we could see live music again. I booked the tickets with a friend um, in huge anticipation. I don't think we'd ever looked forward to a gig so much and I'd never seen Denise Chyla play live before. She was incredible. Again, somebody who really has a rapport with an audience, who speaks, you know, between songs, who explains the background, but also whose music is, is just so exciting. I think she's one of the ex- most exciting singers in our, at the moment. You know, I love her, 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 her songs and I love her, li- again, her lyrics and her whole persona. She was great. Well, this isn't from the Olympia. This is from Glastonbury when Denise Chyla played Unshot live on BBC's coverage of Glastonbury last year. CNN, NBC, Sky News, someone call the BBC. Everything's feeling CCTV, but don't watch, I'll give you something to see. Keep your gurus, I'm not afraid of your juju. Can't touch my shakazulu, my little brother could sue you with two good minutes and a little Google search. Realize that I'm old, but I'll take a nice nap. Don't sleep on me, but I'll back back. Bonus are not so don't lack in good advice. Even my vices can't hold me back. I've done all the side quests, all the sound checks. Vision is high risk. Mileage. Everything I said, I still stand by. I don't, I don't know. I don't stand by. Check myself. I gotta get my mind right. Can't be looking like dialogue. I'm Wi-Fi. I won't stay courtside. Won't beg a call sign. Pen is a gold mine. I am not inclined. Yo, to stop now that I've started. Backtrack, sidestep, or half-hearted. I couldn't predict this. If you need to chart it, you can't navigate my stars. I know what compare. I'm your blood, James Bond. I'm sure. Spice box, taxi by the central. I'm sure. Cinnamon remix by Villa. I saw her play briefly live only at an event you were at as well, actually, at the start of October, the Ireland's Future event. She played with Donald Lunny. Yes, and it that's was stunning. Right. The yes, two of them. yeah. Oh, she is just incredible, and the way she mixes Irish and English—not just languages, but cultural references—you know—and 
I just think she's she's absolutely fantastic. I love when she spells out her name, you know, my name is, spell it, you know, and she spells it out. It's just, it reminds me actually of being in school in Cork in the, in the 80s and having to spell my own name out. But, it, you know, she's, she's, I think, really fantastic, again, on lyrics on, and on the energy and her perform, live performances. But you can hear it there even in a recording as well, you know. If Anna Batchik, stay with us. We need to take a break on the Culture Club and we'll come back with your favourite movies and theatre shows and books and television. All of that to come in the second part of the Culture Club after we've had the traffic. Welcome back. We're continuing our Culture Club series with uh, politicians and today we're delighted to have the Labour Party leader Ivana Batchik with us who has gone through all of our musical choices in the first half of the Culture Club. But let's move on to other things. I'm going to actually go to books because you've nominated a book which apparently made you a socialist. Tell us about yeah, it. I know. Well, it's a book that's often overlooked. I don't think it features much in uh you know, at all anymore. But and I can't even remember who gave it to me. But I was in first year in college, and I was given Robert Tressel's "The Ragged Trousered Philanthropists," and it's 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 a bit like um, James Plunkett's "Trumpet City." It's a it's a it's a fictionalized account of life in uh, industrial in Tressel's case in industrial Britain. Although of course he's an Irish connection as well. But it's all about um, work, working men, mostly men, and but also women, working men and women um, who are philanthropists. Why are they philanthropists? Because they're through their labour they're enabling a, you know, a wealthy class to, to benefit from the profits of their labour. So it's a very it's a very simple explanation of Marxism I suppose is, and, and, they're, and they're philanthropists because they are because they're unwittingly giving and they're giving of their you know giving with no benefit to themselves with benefit to a, to a ruling class. So it's a very pure socialist message a very simple one and it just appealed to me in a really powerful way um, and I went back and read it later and I, it just had the same resonance. So I always say it, it's a book that people should read who are kind of questioning about what are the origins of socialism? What are the origins of the trade union movement? Why do workers have to organise collectively? Because if, you're, if, you're, if you've nothing but your own labour, if you've nothing but your own labour power, then... If, if somebody is taking the surplus value of that labour and they're benefiting from it, you're donating to them. It's like a sort of philanthropy. And that was, it was a very simple way of explaining it. That's what I love about Robert Tressel. Well, actually, we're going to play a brief clip from it and I'll talk to you more about it in a minute. Poverty is not caused by men and women getting married. It's not caused by machinery. It's not caused by overproduction. It's not caused by drink or laziness. It's not caused by overpopulation. It's caused by private monopoly. That is the present system. They have monopolised everything that it is possible to monopolise. They have got the whole earth, the minerals in the earth and the streams that water the earth. The only reason they have not monopolised the daylight and the air is that it is not possible to do it. If it were possible to construct huge gasometers and to draw together and compress within them the whole of the atmosphere, it would have been done long ago and we should have been compelled to work for them in order to get money to buy air to breathe. And if that seemingly impossible thing were accomplished tomorrow, you would see thousands of people dying for want of air, or the money to buy it, even as now thousands are dying for the want of other necessaries of life. You would see people going about gasping for breath, and telling each other that the likes of them could not expect to have the air to breed, unless they had the money to pay for it. Most of you here, for instance, would think and say so. Even as you think at present, that it's right for so few people to own the earth, the minerals and the water, which are just as necessary as the air. In exactly the same spirit as you now say, it's their land, it's their water, it's their coal, it's their iron, 
So you would say it's their air. These are their gasometers, and what right have the likes of us to expect them to allow us to breed for nothing? Robert Tressel's The Ragged Trousers Philanthropists. So, if that influenced you deeply as a teenager, first year in university, does it still apply to your political thinking and philosophy now as a middle-aged leader of the Labour Party? Uh, well, thank you for still calling me middle-aged, I think. Um, yes, I think it has the same appeal, the same clear and crystal clear message. Just listening to that passage again, and I haven't read it now in years, but listening to that passage, I, you know, I'm remembering why, why exactly it spoke to me so powerfully, because it's a really simple explanation of what capitalism is, which is the, uh, the taking of surplus value of labour, the taking by those who own assets and the huge the huge division still that remains between those who have assets and those who do not. And that remains true, even when even in a you know 2023 world where of course it looks very different to the industrial Britain of the 19th century and the factory slaves and so on, or effectively slaves because they were so indentured. So clearly there's a lot a huge change has happened, mostly progress you know, largely progressive, but we still are in a position where if you have untrammeled, you know, unrestricted capitalism, you're 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 taking all of the surplus value of people's labour, and you're not feeding it back to them. So socialism is about redistribution of that surplus assets, those sur- that surplus value through taxation, through fair uh, redistributive policies, and we see that in social democracies around the world, particularly in Europe. And you know, in Ireland, we've we've moved to state provision of so many services, but but not enough. And when we look at things like you know ongoing controversies around. Uh, um, pri- the private ownership of assets around, for example, the Quilcher plan to uh, to sell off uh, to sell off land to a, a, an inv- a big investment fund. I think there's a you know a lot of us have a visceral gut reaction against that. We want to see land, as, as Tressel says, land and air and water and asset. You know these sort of communal assets held for the common good, and that's again the essence of socialism. So to me, it's still got that powerful and enduring message, and it reminds me that I must read it again, Matt. If you had time. Favourite movie? You've gone from one again from the mid-80s. I know. And this is the Thaddeus O'Sullivan directed December Bride. Remind us about that. It's the most beautiful atmospheric film. And I'm, yeah, I'm conscious a lot of my cultural references are mid-80s. Um, in fact, though, when I had submitted that to you, it was before I had got to see The Quiet Girl on Colleen Kuhn by uh, Colin Barade and Cleona Necroli. And I have to say that, I think, now has eclipsed December Bride. But it's very much in the same vein. They're both very quiet films, literally. They're both about very much um you know human relationships in a very um in a in a very I suppose contained setting in a very private setting um, December Bride about the relationship between a woman and two brothers again in rural Ireland um, and it's just beautifully shot um, and beautifully encap- captures the development of their relationship and quite on the quiet girl and Catherine Clinch as the young girl and Carrie Crowley the performances are just equally good in their quiet in, in the quiet eloquence you know the way in which they just sh- tell you um, so much about the characters, about the relationships that develop. So I think it, it will now have to be the quiet girl when I'm asked again, Matt. Well, December Bride, I misled you slightly. It was a little bit later. It's actually 1990, the movie, and it has Donald McCann was in it and Kieran Hines and Sashka Reeves um, yes, was in right. it, yes, who yeah. might be familiar now to a more modern audience for her role in uh, Slow Horses. That's but he, right. In this piece, in this clip, we hear... Sarah, played by Sashka Reeves, and her mother Martha, played by Brenda Bruce, being approached by the Reverend Solison, played by Patrick Malahide. I didn't see ye in church, Miss Martin. 
nor Mr. Eccle, not since his father's funeral, nor Master Frank. Now he's up and about again. It is your duty, Sarah, to go with your mother. The scripture says, remember. Next Sunday then, I hope, all four of you, unless we're falling by the wayside here. Mr. Saul, listen, sir. I do what I can. Not one of them will go one step with me. Well, we must pray. Aren't you ashamed to give your minister cause to speak to me that road? Mother, what is he to do with me? He is your clergyman, servant of the Church of God. Forget your God, you'll never prosper, Sarah. Prosper? My dad, your husband, he remembered his God every Sunday on his knees. Died a drink for all that. Drunk on the walls of Slago for all his prayer. You have a duty to God. I you have all done your duty to God. All your people and all your lives you've slaved for richer folk. I'll not do it, Mother. I'll find some other road. I can see, Ivana, why that would have appealed to the emerging socialist <laughs> of your youth. And feminist. I mean, it's a powerful feminist film too, you know. But I, I think I do think I do think it's the same sort of atmosphere as in on Colleen Kuhn. I was just really struck when I was watching on Colleen Kuhn how 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 parallel they are. I mean, very different stories, but yeah. it's just that, you know, human relationships just explored and this really beautiful, quiet, elegant way. Just be- both beautiful films. Your selection of a favourite play or theatre show or musical definitely surprised me. Did it? It did. Mamma Mia. Well, look, my daughters and I adore Mamma Mia in, you know, both. We love the ABBA music. We love the films. And uh, and again, I suppose partly because of COVID, we had a very special outing in December 2019. Again, the last, I think it was probably the last, one of the one of the last plays I got to see before, one of the last live performances before uh, COVID struck. Um, it was in the Board Gas Energy Theatre and it's just such a fun night out in Mamma Mia. It's it's like, it reminds me of the Rocky Horror Picture Show again in my youth, <laughs> in, you know, in the, in the, in the old Cross. Harold's Cross classic cinema uh, when, when we were all in, in, in our teens. But uh, Mamma Mia is the same sort of fun and it, and the music is fantastic. You know, I loved both films. I thought Cher's performance in the second Mamma Mia, we've watched it over and over. I've even, I have to say, done, you know, done a trip to the Greek islands with the family to, to uh, rediscover that we did a Mamma Mia tour. We're, we're super fans. We're super fans. We went to Scopolis where a lot of the first movie was filmed. We better play Mamma Mia from Mamma Mia the Musical.
be doing the ABBA experience in London as well will you? Oh I would love to that's that's now on the on the cards for this year I think but I was dancing in my seat when, when you were playing Mamma Mia there I mean it's you know I love theatre I was on the board of the Corn Exchange Theatre Company for years and I love the work of Annie Ryan of Michael West I just think we've we've fantastic the- homegrown theatre in Ireland you know do- they did a great performance actually of Dubliners since Covid that I've seen but you know Mamma Mia just is the fun night out and it's got this universal appeal my mum loves it you know my daughter it's it's cross-generational. Favourite TV show? As a child, what do you remember the most? I remember Wanderley Wagon, of course. As everyone of my vintage will, I was obsessed with Judge the Dog and uh, with O'Brien and with Godmother and all of the characters. We didn't have a TV for many years in when I was when we were when I was in primary school in, in Cork um, and we got one but I was able to watch Wanderley Wagon in, other fr- in friends' houses and, uh, and loved it. You know, it, it's, one, it's one of those shows that, uh, you know, allegedly many episodes have been lost and I'm sure if we were to watch it again it wouldn't have the same magic but to, to you know, us, those kids of the late, I suppose, late 70s, early yeah. 80s, it was, it was fantastic and the puppetry was great. Um, you know, I have to say I went to see the, La- the Lambert Puppet Theatre more recently with small children and it was great. It, was, it still got the same appeal. I did that for my kids when they were small too and it was terrific. Yeah. I thought you might go for something like Borgen for your up-to-date television, <laughs> but you've not gone for the political choices. As you've gone for the feminist choices, have you? I've gone for feminist choices. And, and humour. And humour. Exactly. And I think those are two things I do look for in um, in TV. I've watched a little bit of Borgen. I still have to get into it fully. I did love The West Wing. You know, I love Veep. I think that's hilarious because that combines politics, feminism and humour. I'm re-watching but, Veep at the moment. Oh, and it's it is so good. Genius. How they got away with some of it, though, is oh, extraordinary. Fantastic. Isn't it? Very close to the bone. But the two I chose were... Um, more re- well, three Sex and the City, of course, I loved, and you know when it came out, and we all we used to gather and watch it with our cocktails, and you know in the days when it, before I had kids. But now I love Derry Girls. I think Derry Girls is phenomenal writing, phenomenal humour, great feminist message too. And then of course Sharon Horgan's genius Motherland series, which is has again such a such a great message in it about trying to balance and juggle. I love coming home coming home late at night, you know, after a really busy day, and watching reruns of Motherland or of Derry. Derry Girls, this is great escapism. Let's hear a little bit from Motherland. Where the parents come to the school to discuss an outbreak of nits among the children. Oh, very familiar. Uh, we can take some questions. Uh, yes, Darius is mum. What's the school doing to protect against the spread? If we find a live case, the child's table will be isolated. They're sent home until they've all been treated. Next question, please. Yep, here. It's about the grannies, really. Um, I have my mother living with me. I'll be. Temporarily, I'd like to stress that. Do I have to do her as well? Yeah. Uh, grandparent hair is thinner and basically dead, so they're less at risk, but we do still advise keeping your distance. So you're recommending, according to the science, that I should ask my mother to move out? Uh, that's all we've got time for. Laura does offer a Knit Blitz shampooing service if you're interested. Okay. Yes, I have Thank some leaflets. Cheers. Jeez, three hundred pounds for a shampoo party, isn't it? Vidal Sassoon. Jesus, right, just a couple of piddly nits, not even life-threatening. You can't die of nits. You can die from nits, actually. There's an old woman in Kildare, and she scratched her head so hard she made a hole in her skull, and some dirt got in it and it killed her. That's a harrowing limerick, Anne. Oh, isn't it just brilliant? I'm just laughing again. You know, I, as so many of us do, I identify with Julia, who you hear there talking about her mother living with me temporarily, of course. 
just fantastic, the humour in that. And it's We're such an everyday done. appeal. So very briefly, we ask for a brief cultural buried treasure, something entirely different that you might just recommend. Well, I had to go back to the mid-80s for this because this is a film that I absolutely adored then and it stood the test of time, I think. It's a Swedish film, My Life as a Dog, from 1985. And it was so, it's so poignant. It's about the incredible story of Laika, the first, the first living creature in space, the dog who the cosmonauts sent into space before men walked on the moon. Um, they went sent Laika into space knowing he would die. And there's just something so powerful about this movie, about a little boy who himself is obsessed with the story of Laika. Um, something about it. Again, it's that quiet beauty that, you know, that quiet, the quiet, and Colin Kuhn has, that, uh, that the December Bride has. I love those sort of movies, as well as Mamma Mia and the more lively ones as well. But I think My Life as a Dog, is it, like December Bride, it's a film that deserves re-watching now. Ivana Batchik, thank you so much for joining us on the Culture Club here on The Last Word of Today FM. Ivana Batchik, of course, the leader of the Labour Party. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.